In the mid-1980s, Michael Jackson was working on a project for the Walt Disney Company called Captain EO. Captain EO was going to be a 17-minute movie that was going to be shown at Epcot and Disneyland featuring some new music by Michael. And that music was being recorded at Westlake Studios in Hollywood. This was the exact same studio where he had recorded the Thriller album just a few years earlier. So it was during this exact same time that I got my first job at Westlake uh, as a runner. I would get food, I would empty trash cans, and, uh, and help the clients and the engineers however I could as I was kind of learning my way uh, around recording studios. And it was at that point when I, when I really met Michael and we struck up kind of a cool little friendship. And next came uh, the Bad Album and then the Dangerous Album and then we did an endless amount of projects at Neverland and I helped with some of the tour prep and I helped with some of the, uh, the video uh, projects. I'd bring big, giant sound systems out to video shoots. So I was pretty good at anticipating what Michael needed. In 1994, we were in New York working on a project called History. We didn't really call it History. We just called it the project. But uh, it was just song after song that he was knocking out at the Hit Factory and it was during that time that he surprised even me with a request. Basically, it all came down to one request from Michael. It wasn't even a request. It was kind of a, a command. Um, and the words he said were, Brad, you're going to be Santa Claus. My name is Brad Sundberg, and this is In the Studio the podcast. It was the summer of 1994. We started this project um, in February of 94 the the way we wound up in new york because we've done most we did most of our work in la up to that point but in early 1994 there was an earthquake in la called the northridge earthquake and it really freaked michael out made him pretty nervous and he he wanted to do the new project in new york so we kind of packed up the crew and the machines and the tapes and uh, and went to New York and uh, set up shop at the Hit Factory on West 54th Street. So we got there in February, uh, January, February, and it was just bitter cold. And we were working on song after song. Um, Brad Buxer and uh, Bruce Swedeen and Brian Vibberts, the whole kind of, kind of the A-team was all uh, just cranking on all cylinders uh, working on that project. And in... The summer of 94, I don't remember when I, when I first heard about this, but Michael came up with this idea that he wanted to do a Christmas song from the, uh, the Home Alone soundtrack. I'm, I'm not making this up. 
um, he wanted to do a remake of one of the uh, Home Alone Christmas songs in the middle of the history project. With Michael, when he wants to do something, he, he sets his mind to it, and, uh, and we, we got about the business of uh, working on this Christmas song. So Brad Buxer did the, it's called the sequencing or the arrangement, um, and recorded the instruments from his uh, synthesizers and his drum machine and uh, kind of laid down, you know, the, the basic tracks of the song. And then we wanted to use a kid's choir that was, was reminiscent of the, uh, the Home Alone soundtrack. So we, by now, we'd been in New York. Uh, well, number one, the music industry really isn't that big. So with the types of projects that, that we do, um, you have a lot of contacts. And uh, even though there's really no Google at this point, but you could still kind of make things happen just with a few phone calls. So we were tasked with the, uh, the challenge of finding a good kids' choir in New York. Well, of course, New York is one of the most entertainment-oriented cities on the planet, and there's no shortage of talented singers, talented kids. So we found a kids' choir, and I believe the uh, the director's name was Annette. Forgive me, I, I don't remember her last name. But uh, she she had this this kids' choir. We were we had every confidence that uh, they they could do the job. They could get the uh, vocals down on this song. And I, I'm not going to lie, we, we really didn't know what Michael wanted to do with a Christmas song. It didn't really make sense that it was going to be on the History Project. But at the same time, he's, he's the boss. So he wants to do a Christmas song, we're going to do a Christmas song. Typically, when you're going to record you know, professional musicians, professional singers, um, I've been involved in sessions like this a lot. And... You the, the crew knows what to do. We know how to prepare the studio. We know uh, if we find out if the singer or singers, you know, are going to need tea or anything, anything specific. And uh, we're pretty good at, you know, making the room very comfortable. So when they come in, for example, a kid's choir, the headphones are going to be there. Everything's going to be working. Um, they're probably going to come in for two, three hours, and it's going to be done. That's that's on a normal session. This one was different. Um, it was di- it was different right from the beginning. Um, Michael wanted to, since it was a Christmas song, he wanted to kind of elevate things quite a bit, and not just have it be a sterile studio feel, but he wanted to make it Christmassy. What better way to make it Christmassy than to do some decorating? Now, this is before Amazon. This is before Google. So getting Christmas decorations in midtown Manhattan in the middle of summer is actually a bit more challenging than, than you might think. I thought we would find a few Christmas lights, kind of hang them you know, from the gobos, and, uh, and let it go at that. But Michael had considerably bigger ideas in mind. We wound up uh, hiring a set decorator to come in and literally transform Hit Factory Studio One into a winter wonderland. I, I, I swear this is true. Um, Studio One at Hit Factory is pro- arguably one of the bigger studios 
in New York at that time. Right in the middle of Midtown Manhattan, and it's, it's like a basketball court. It's probably bigger than a basketball court. And they brought in fake snow and a giant Christmas tree and a sleigh and, and reindeer and, and a fence. And, and there was a bridge. And there was just all of these props that this set company brought in. And, and it was amazing. I mean, it was magical. You know, you're, you're, it's hot outside. You're wearing shorts. You're working on an MJ session. And then you go up in the Studio One and, and it's Christmas. I mean, it was just it's kind of one of those moments in time that uh, you, you don't soon forget. We had the whole place decorated. Well, Michael didn't want to have just a normal session. He wanted this to be to be special. So we actually arranged for catering. Not something you normally do for a choir that's going to come in for a couple hours, but no, we we had it all catered. And, uh, and Michael's kind of checking in on me to make sure that uh, everything is coming into place. And I'm like, all right, you know, we're, we're good. You know, the place is decorated. We've got the catering. Um, we're, we're in good shape for, for the kids. The kids are going to be here, you know, in a few days. He said, we, we need to give them gifts. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not really sure that's necessary. And he's like, no, no, it's, it's to celebrate Christmas. You know, there has to be Christmas gifts. So, again, there's there's no there's no Amazon. There's no easy way to just type a few uh, words on, onto a screen and and have things magically happen. You actually have to send people out. And uh, so, in 1994, probably the most popular gift that you could give uh, a child was something called a Game Boy, uh, a Nintendo Game Boy. We hit the toy stores hard. Uh, we were at F.A.F. Schwartz. Uh, I think we were over at uh, uh, Toys R Us. Anyone that had a Game Boy in stock, we bought it. I, I don't know. It seems to me that we bought something between 20 and 25 Game Boys. And then we had to have all the games and the batteries and the accessories and, uh, and on and on and on. So we got to a point where, where our production... Uh, our production assistant, her name was Rachel. Rachel was like wrapping gifts. You know, she, she has like a wrapping station where she's getting all these gifts ready and making them pretty. And it was, it was crazy and it was fun. And it just, the thing just started snowballing. This, this Christmas song kind of started taking on a life of its own. In the middle of a Michael Jackson project that arguably is about some pretty heavy topics. The History album is not exactly a lightweight, fun album. Um, it's not the kind of song, not the kind of album you're probably going to stick a, a Christmas song in the middle of. But there we were. So it finally got down. And, and again, I, I, I don't mean to uh, elaborate the details too much, but Michael wanted the gifts to be given out by a Santa Claus. Well, at this point, I was... I was still a pretty young guy. I really, in all truth, I'm really not, I'm a bit of an introvert. I'm fairly shy. And the idea of kind of getting in front of a group of people just wasn't my favorite thing in the world to do. But Michael had it in his head that he wanted a Santa Claus. And who was going to be Santa? It seems to me that Bruce Swedeen's name came up. But <laughs> I think Bruce shot that down pretty quick. So... The uh, the Michael looked at me and he's like, Brad, you're going to be Santa. 
And I'm like, no, no, that's, that's, that's a terrible idea. He's like, no, you're going to be Santa. We need a Santa. You're going to be Santa. You're going to give the gifts out. And I'm not going to lie. It was kind of one of those, you know, you, you kind of say no, no, no. But inside you're kind of thinking, eh, you know what? Might be kind of fun. So I was Santa. We brought the kids choir in and, and the families were invited, the, the siblings. I mean, it was a big group of people. And so the, uh, the choir did their part. They did fantastic. And I remember I was kind of backstage. I was kind of in one of the ISO rooms or something. It's called an isolation room. And the kids could, or a lounge or something. And, uh, and I was nervous. I mean, you know, you got to go out and you got to be Santa. You got to be Michael Jackson Santa. You know, there's really no, uh, there's no playbook. You know, there's no, uh, uh, I don't know, guidelines. It's just like, you're on, you know, you, you can't, uh, you can't, you can't let the kids down. You can't let Michael down. The two of us went out and, uh, Brian Vibberts, uh, my buddy, six time Grammy winner. He was one of the elves and Rachel was one of the elves and, uh, and we went out, and, I mean, there was fake snow everywhere, and this giant Christmas tree, and music playing, and all these kids, and and Michael's photographer was there taking just tons of photos, and Michael's good at that kind of stuff. I'm, you know, behind this fake beard and this hot suit that's stuffed with pillows. You know, on the one hand, it's like, you know, what am I doing here? On the other hand, it's like, this is a moment in time. This is actually really cool. So over the course of, uh, I don't know, a couple hours, we, we gave out all the gifts. We, uh, we laughed with the kids. We, uh, the kids had kind of fake snowball fights. And it was just this, this crazy uh, day that you really couldn't predict was going to happen. But it did. Over the course of time, well, number one, the song never got released. And people sometimes ask, did Michael ever sing on it? And to the best of my knowledge, Michael never did sing on it. What was it for? I, I don't know. Michael wanted to do it, and our job was to uh, to get it on tape and, uh, and just let it uh, stand on its own. If he ever wanted to release it or whatever he wanted to do with it, we, we just had to capture it and make it as good as possible. Over the course of time... I've made a lot of friends over the past several years, and people have come to my seminars, and uh, and the Santa Brad story, you know, sometimes comes up, and people are kind of amused by it. And somebody introduced me to Donna Vivino, who is a Broadway actress, a very successful Broadway actress. She was one of the kids, one of the kids in the kids' choir. So she and I had a conversation, just kind of reminiscing about that day, and I said, I'd really like to do a podcast. So Donna agreed and said she would love to do a podcast talking specifically about that session. And she said, but we also need to get Jeffrey Landman, who was also 15 years old at the time. He and Donna had worked together on several projects, even, even as kids. And Jeffrey was at that same session. So I'm actually really excited to get caught up with both of them and kind of hear in their words what that session was like when Michael Jackson wanted to do a Christmas song in New York and and I got to be Santa Brad. 
All right, guys, at this point, I would like to bring in, uh, it's kind of funny, I, I want to say two old friends, but uh, they probably don't remember me, and I, I, as hard as I'm trying, I'm trying to remember them, but uh, <laughs> they were mere teenagers uh, back in 1994 at uh, the Hit Factory on West 54th Street in New York. Um, I'm bringing in Donna Vivino and Jeffrey Landman. Thank you guys so much for joining me and talking about that uh, unusual Michael Jackson session that we all work together. Thanks Hi, for having Brad. Thanks for having us. So I've already told my audience a little bit about um, Michael wanted to do this Christmas song from Home Alone. And even though it, uh, it didn't make a lot of sense that we were going to do it, he just had his mind set on it and he wanted to do it. And and I know we've kind of talked about this, you know, prior to this podcast a little bit, but did we use you guys on, on one or two other songs on this project? you remember? Jeff, do you remember? Me, me personally, no. Um, I was not used anywhere else. Um, I, no. I don't, I don't know if I was. I don't think so, because I think anything else that was recorded with children was on the album, and I don't think song I was on I don't think my name wound up on history book too so (laughs) I guess that I'm not sure I don't know I have to look I'm sorry Um, because I know we did the song uh history we used a kid's choir but I think we did most of that in LA LA. I think I think that's what happened so even in my mind you know which is kind of a small scary place to go um it it gets confusing because there's two different you know we had the New York kids choir and the LA kids choir but the, the New York choir, ironically, um, I think we primarily used on this, on the Christmas song that, that was never released. Right. So, right. so first of all, tell me about, uh, I'm, I'm going to start with Donna. Tell me about what you had been doing prior to, you know, how, how do you get into a kid's choir that gets chosen to work with Michael Jackson? Well, you know, I had been, uh, I started out on the, session I was gigging from like age eight and nine on lots of jingles and um I think I also did some stuff for Gloria Stefan at one point in background vocals when she had kids um I had been working in sessions like almost every day since I was about eight or nine years old um so I was already like pretty established in the session world and the woman that contracted this sort of choir together I think <laughs> um, but 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 we were we weren't an actual choir but we worked together all the time Jeffrey too I would work with him a lot as well that's really interesting so so it wasn't yeah. you know when I sometimes tell the story it's almost like oh we you know we used I didn't know there wasn't really a name but kind of the New York kids choir the, but but it wasn't really a choir it was just an ensemble of singers no but I think that you know, they called her saying, do you have a kid's choir? And she's like, yeah, yeah, sure. (laughs) You know, but she did because she had a roster of kids and I didn't know everybody there, but you know, we all had experience, right? No, I know you were really young, but up to that point, um, you'd primarily done uh, recorded work, not so much live stage or a little bit of both. No, 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 I did. I, I, um, I actually started out as a film and TV actor. That's where I started. I was on, um, uh, I started out, doing television commercials. Um, so I was on camera and then I did a, a television show for ABC. I was a series regular on an ABC show called hometown when I was seven. Actually. Wow. Yeah. And then, um, and then I booked um, Les Miserables on Broadway. So I was the original young Cosette in Les Mis and I worked with Jeffrey in Les Mis too. Uh, of course. Yeah. So, but I, I was in the, I was the original young Cosette in Les Miserables. I made my Broadway debut 
a month after my ninth birthday. And while I was doing Les Mis is when I started to get into the session work um, because my father, who is a professional musician, would play on these sessions. He met, um, at the time, I think it was Helen Miles, and he was like, my daughter sings. And she's like, oh, yeah, great, sure. You know, cause ever, and he's, she's like, he's sure. like, yeah, she's in Les Mis right now. She's like, oh, wait, okay. She must really sing. Can she do session work? And he said, yeah, like, she's recorded on stuff with me. And she, like, tested me out, and, um, and I started doing session stuff. I really actually did, was doing session stuff before Les Mis. He had just said, no, she, like, is a professional actress. Um, can she sing? Yeah. So that's what I was doing. And then by the time I did the Michael... Um, let, me, let me stop you there because yeah. I, I have a quick question. What year yeah. would you have been in Le Mis? Well, the year it opened was 1987. So I did... I did in 1986, we were in Washington, D.C. for the pre-Broadway tryout. Right. And then in 1987, we opened March 12, 1987. And by the time I was... By the time... And then, I, and then after Les Mis, I did, a, I did a film. And then I was 13 and I started to get braces. Well, I didn't... I got braces and started to go through puberty. And I really was focusing... Um, I wasn't really doing much. There wasn't as much work for me anymore on camera or on stage. And um, I did stuff at my school... And, um, and then I was, but I was still doing session work. That's the one thing I still did as a teenager. And then, you know, that started to dry up too in general, the session world, the jingle world is kind of done, mostly done in house. But, but that Michael, um, by that point, I really was primarily just doing voiceover and, and session work and my school musicals Okay. at my high school. All right. Yeah. Um, and we'll get to the MJ session in a second, but Jeffrey, what was, what was your background up to that so point? I grew up in New Jersey. I actually grew up a town away from Donna. Yeah, we grew up near each other in New Jersey. And uh, I went to an audition when I was 10 years old. And two weeks later, I was joining Donna in Les Mis on Broadway in 1989. So about two years into the run, I joined the show. I was the third boy in the show. Right. And it sort of started my career. I left the show after about a month. <laughs> <laughs> And by the time I came home, I was too tall to go back into Les Mis, but I don't know if it was through Donna's family or how, but my Might mother hooked up with Helen Miles and Annette Sanders, and they took me on as a client for jingle work. And within, I think my first session was like that fall, which is 89. Okay. And by the end of that year, I was doing four five sessions a week. Really? Yeah. And that continued pretty much until I went to college. Slowed down a little with, you know, I would get down to maybe three sessions a week, but I was doing at least three sessions a week for about eight years of my life. And I, there was a small group of, I'd say three or four of us, maybe five or six that were on, that were like the first call for every session in New York. Yeah. Okay pretty much the num the first boy that was called for every session because there were like two of us. Right. And then there were the group of, you know, there were 20, 30 other kids that would session here and there when they needed to fill it out. But there was, you know, a group of, of a core group of us that would pretty much be on every session that was done based out of New York. I did the Gloria Stefan session with Donna. I've done, you know, if there was a celebrity who used kids on an album in the 90s in New York, probably Donna and I were there. That's awesome. Which is why sort of when the Michael thing came up, it just, it seemed totally natural and normal that like, oh, Michael Jackson's recording in New York with kids. Let's go to that session. It didn't seem, on the onset, it didn't seem any 
different or I mean obviously it was Michael Jackson so it was very exciting but right. you know I we all sort of walked in there just thinking it was just another Tuesday I don't know what day of the week it was but it was just another Tuesday recording session all right so Jeffrey so so it sounds like you had more uh recording studio experience than Donna up to that point Donna you were mainly on the stage no I had tons I would say, I, I would say oh, so, Donna and I, it, was, it was comparable I mean our, our okay okay was was on par yeah I was doing it for a couple of years before Jeffrey as well and I, yes, and and um, I no, I was five days, four or five days a week as well. I mean, I was I was in the studio, and then I was going to the theater. At so, night. so I was during this time, right around the time of the Michael session, I had just closed my second Broadway show, or maybe a year earlier, I'd closed my second Broadway show. So, like Donna, it's a weird, weird way to have grown up. That you know, I, we would go to school until I got out at like two in the afternoon. Then I would go right to the recording studio until six o'clock at night, and then go to the theater and do a show. And that was pretty common. Or sometimes on a, on a Wednesday in between shows, you'd run downtown and do a quick session. Like at, at, that's sort of what our lives were, were like for, for a long time. So were, now were you both living in Manhattan? Jersey. New Jersey. You're both in Jersey. All right. So you're taking the train back and forth, back and forth. Mom, My mom was driving. Okay. So I, I don't want to get too far off topic, but I'm, I'm actually intrigued by this. So, there's a lot of uh, uh, preconceived ideas about like stage moms and uh, were your moms pushing you? Was this, uh, or this was something you guys really wanted to do? I really wanted to do it. Nothing would have stopped me. And I can, I can say honestly, confidently looking back on our shared experience. I think the fact that our parents were both, non-stage parents and we're both really wonderful cooperative i'll be in the corner call me when you need me kind of parents i think that is directly related to our success i have to just echo everything jeffrey said our, our mothers were very similar and um and yeah you couldn't have stopped me i was four years old like saying i want to be on tv i i would put i pushed my parents into wow into doing it and 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 actually knowing some stage mothers i know my mother was amazing okay <laughs> So, and and yeah. this certainly isn't about me, but um, yeah, when, when we were in LA, I mean, my girls, they, they did a little bit of dancing. Um, they've actually done more in Florida, but it, it's not any of their real fortes. But yeah, when you're, when you're on the set or, or, or in a, you know, some sort of a production with, with stage moms, um, it, it can be interesting sometimes. Oh, it's Yeah. <laughs> Cliches and the the it's all real. It all happens. I've seen it. Everything that that you could imagine a stage parent doing, I've seen, and I'm lucky, and very grateful every day that the people I was associating with were able to look at that from a few steps away and be like, "Thank God, my mother is not that." Not That's awesome. All right, so I've already kind of told the story about the preparations that we did leading up to this this song. And when Michael wants something, he, he's going to get it. Um, he wanted this to be a really special day. It was kind of a combination of a party along with recording uh, the, the choir parts for this song. And it was really the first time that we invited like families. It, it was a big deal. I mean, even for us, it was a big deal because we don't normally decorate the studio. We had set decorators. We had caterers. Um, and, and then, of course, he wanted, you know, as I've already talked about, he wanted me to be to be Santa. Um, 
But tell me about you guys kind of prepping for that day and showing up at the studio. What, what was it like, Donna? Oh, I was going to say, start with Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew, I mean, they, we weren't told who we, well, I remember being told, like, it's Michael Jackson, but you can't, like, tell people. There was no internet. To, well, there was internet, but there was no, like, social media that we were putting it on. But, like, they're, like you're not supposed to tell your friends, like, whatever. I knew that, like, they, they said, that, you know, you can bring family members because he's going to have a party after the session. But I did not realize that when I walked into the studio, there'd be a Christmas tree and there's this ambiance. It was the middle of summer. I remember right. the middle of summer and there was Santa and fake snow and a tree. So it was definitely cool. Like, it felt like um, the they were trying to set the mood. That's what I remember. Okay. Jeffrey, what do you remember when you first walked in the door? Well, I remember like Donna, we were not told who the session was for initially, but I remember that we had to sign NDAs before we went into the studio. So, and the NDAs did not say Michael Jackson on them, but they said like MJ. Right. Like Neverland Production Company. So we, you know, <laughs> those of us that were maybe a little older sort of were in the lobby being like, two plus two equals four. <laughs> and the NDAs <clears throat> the room, because again, like Donna, we were just told it's a session for a Christmas song. There's going to be a, a little get together after. And if you want to bring some family, you can. So uh, my mom and I were, went to the session and we wa I remember walking into the studio and first off, it was the largest studio I'd ever been in because I don't tend to record with live. You know, that's a studio mainly for people when there's live musicians as well. It's that huge, you know? Yeah, that was, that was Hit Factory Studio One. Right. So I don't, I wasn't, I was more the guy in the, you know, closet studio with a piano right but um i remember just the entire room was just christmas everywhere you could you could see the trees the i remember reindeer although yes that be, were they live i do not i think we'd have to go to new jersey to get some live reindeer no, there, were, there were some sort of stuffed reindeer or something i remember just being overwhelmed and thinking like, this is a lot for a session, but feeling so, it was just felt so warm. And I was like, oh, this is probably just to get us in the mood for the Christmas song. Cause it, you couldn't be sad or upset or not excited for the holidays being in that room. Even though it was hot August or whatever outside. Yeah. And then to find out like, no, that's for the party. You're like, okay, this, this is turning into one of those sessions that 30 years from now I'll be talking about on a podcast. <laughs> you know, I've done thousands of sessions and here we are, I've been doing this 30 years and it's still one of the greatest sessions I ever had in my life. Serious. I mean, yeah. seriously, you're, you're not just saying that. I'm not just saying that. I've talked about this session, you know, when people <laughs> want to, when I talk about my career as a, as a, a studio singer, this session inevitably comes up and not just because it was Michael Jackson, but because the Christmas and the party and the way that the singers were so taken care of just to make us have a good day. Right. Was something you don't see every day and you, you don't get in any other scenario than when you're dealing with Michael Jackson. And, and this isn't to be self-deprecating really, but, but we, we didn't normally do this. Uh, th this really was Michael's, uh, he, he wanted to go over the top. And you couldn't sustain doing that more than like you couldn't you couldn't function if that was your plan for every time you're recording to do something like that and that made it even we could tell it was special it felt special 
and that was even better. I think we left. I think it took us a, a few days. I mean, there was a lot of planning that led up to you guys walking in the door. Um, we had a full set designer uh, that came in and, and uh, brought in. Because originally, I thought we were going to put a couple of Christmas lights up, you know, on, on a gobo or something, <laughs> kind of call it a day. And Michael just, I mean, he he straightened me out. And he said, no, we're, we're going full tilt. Um, so it was all him. I mean, it was not, and not that we were opposed to it. It was just all this stuff was happening. It just kept snowballing. And we literally had fake snow in there. We had the reindeer that you talked about. We had a bridge. Um, we had a sleigh. It, it just grew and grew and grew. Um, so uh, do you remember approximately how long it took to record your parts? And was there anything unique about the recording style that we did versus other sessions? I, I do have a recollection of being brought into a room with another singer, uh, another girl, and they brought us in, just she and I, and and I walked in the room with one of the writers, and there was this big grand piano, and Michael was in the room, like, in a small, I was like, oh my gosh, it was like a little, like, looked like a rehearsal room with this big piano in it, and they were like, yeah, we just want to, like, go over some parts and try to figure out, like, what an alto line would be like, and and so you would do the higher part, Donna, and you would do the, and so just trying to figure out harmonies that they thought would work. And I remember he said, came over to us and said, you have very pretty voices. And it was like, I'll never forget that in my life. <laughs> that's, that's just like a big, a big deal. Okay. <laughs> so that's what I remembered in terms of like, I don't actually, I don't know if I actually remember recording it. Okay. I remember Christmas and I remember that moment in the room because I was just like, oh, wow. So, so that, obviously, that was the first time you'd seen him talk to him. I mean, he spoke directly to my face. I'll never forget it. Awesome. It was like, I mean, he looked me in the eye and talked to me, and he and he and he said, "Just very pretty voices." And I was like, "Wow, he really speaks that way." And that's Michael Jackson. Right. <laughs> he was very. He was very. He was very sweet. Okay. So, yeah. Jeffrey, what do you remember? I, I just remember him being more speaking to us more than some of the other artists did. So it, in, in other sessions, it would be the artist would maybe stay in the booth and communicate with the booker or the coordinator and give notes to us through that. But Michael would literally look at us and say, all right, you know, boy is singing the bottom parts. I need more from you. Girls singing the top part. He would communicate with us as the artist as opposed to treating us differently because we were children the way that some of the other artists that I worked with wouldn't necessarily know how to communicate with child singers or wouldn't talk to us the same way they would talk to an adult. Children know what piano forte means. You right. know, you say crescendo here and we know what that means, but not everyone behaved that way. But Michael, there was never a moment that we didn't feel like professional musicians in a professional setting dealing with an artist getting what he wanted. Now, I'm, I'm going to go techie on you just, just for a second here. Do you remember uh, Bruce Swedeen was, was the engineer on that, on that session? Um, Bruce was Michael's engineer for years and years and years, and I was kind of his right-hand uh, assistant. Um, and he, he usually recorded choirs in a circle. Do you remember standing in a circle? I don't. I don't. Do you remember not standing in a circle? <laughs> I don't, but I'm certain that happened. 
okay. how we stood, but yeah, he he was very uh, the way he recorded his choirs was usually in a circle with a pair of microphones uh, in the middle, and and you get just an enormous choir sound. He would usually have, uh, I mean, usually with the Andre Crouch choir, you know, we'd have them stand really close to the mic and then mm. step back, you know, three steps, and uh, so even I'm trying to remember. See, I don't think this is going to sound weird, but I don't think I was in the room when you guys were recording because I was backstage. I, I was in a, in a different room getting all sanded up. So right. we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But um, but you you felt like you were it, it was a professional, um, pretty well oiled machine by the time you came in. One hundred percent. One of the things that Bruce always did, and you know, back then we were recording analog. I mean, you guys were recorded on twenty-four track analog, and uh, really most of Michael's projects, uh, at least the ones I were involved in, were all analog and then transferred to digital. Um, so even with you guys, I know we would have had probably three work tapes ready to go. We probably had one of the assistants up half the night the night before you got there, because on an MJ session, you never run out of track. That's not an option. If the kids are on a groove, you keep going. You put another tape up. So I would, uh, and we, we had a really good team. So I find, you know, I'm not surprised that uh, <laughs> the session didn't go off or, or went off without too many hiccups, hopefully. No. Um, so at the end of the session, I think, so at this point, your your families were waiting there was a huge lounge that we had off studio one. So they probably were not in the room with you when we were recording, but then I think we turned the lights up a little bit and started, we, we actually played back the song. I don't know if you remember that, but Bruce did a quick mix of the song and we we're actually playing it through the speakers. And that's oh, yeah. when your families came in That's right. and, and we had a big, uh, kind of a big buffet and then let you, and then we took a bunch of pictures so, so behind the scenes, I was, um, I was getting, you know, back, back then I actually needed pillows to look a little, uh, a little chubby. Now I don't need quite as much, uh, uh, artificial reinforcement, but, but I was getting all stuffed up with the pillows and, and, uh, and my, my wife gets mad at me when I say this, but I was really nervous. I mean, I was so, I'm just not an upfront, you know, kind of entertainer. I, I would, I would stink if I were the main entertainment on, on a Disney cruise because it's just not my thing. Um, <laughs> and so, and I'm not a, a heavy drinker at all, but I was so nervous that we had like a six pack of Corona back in the, uh, back in the, the, the lounge. And I was tossing back a Corona just to like, you know, get, get into the Santa vibe a little bit. And then uh, Michael came in and got me and or i got him or whatever it was but but we had kind of the grand uh the grand entrance where where uh he and i came in and then brian vibbert you probably don't know that name but brian was our was our elf and he was the one that kind of gave out the gifts brian has now won six grammy awards for engineering and and uh he's up for his seventh this year so he was one of our elves and then we gave each one of the kids uh game boys and in 19- well, there was more there was more in the gift well go, well, go ahead to, tell tell your your i mind. don't remember anything but that game boy that was there that was, was like boy, there was a game boy there was a vhs 
that had all the videos from Dangerous, which was the most recent album. Oh, yeah. And there was an autographed copy of Dangerous. Seriously? I Wait, where's my autographed copy of Dangerous? In a CD of Dangerous autographed was inside each gift. I, so of everything in my life that I've had, it is the one item that I lost somewhere between Me too. and here. I knew where it was for like four years. And then I moved across the country and somehow it disappeared. Yeah, it mine was, disappeared too. Isn't that weird? Like the one thing, I, like of all things I've kept, I lost the autographed copy of Michael Jackson. <laughs> of all yeah. Things. I, uh, have, I forgot we did the CDs. because I, I remember all of that in the, in the thing. And what I wanted, because I'm you know, being greedy here, what I wanted was someone, it might've even been you, someone was wearing a t-shirt that said, have you seen my childhood, Michael Jackson? And the right. song did not come out yet. So no one really knew what that meant. So I saw that t-shirt and I was like, that's deep. And I want that t-shirt. Wow. No, it was the guy that I went into the room with who was <laughs> one of his like producers or arrangers. Because I, I remember that, that shirt. It might've been, might've been Brad Buxer, I'm thinking. Um, Probably. The, the guy at the piano. Um, Cause well, we- of course, the Game Boy and all of that was extremely generous. And I'm not saying I was, you know, being like, I don't want this. It was <laughs> unnecessary. Well, I mean, I and, lost and, my copy, too, of the Dangerous CD. And, and to give people, you know, again, a little bit of the backstory, our, our, our production assistant, her name was Rachel. And forgive me, Rachel, I can't remember your last name. And and she I mean, it was like two days, three days of running around to different stores and buying game. We, we had to give kids the Game Boy, the games, the batteries. I mean, it had to be yeah. up and go. So she was rapping like crazy. I'd forgotten the uh, the, the autograph CDs. That's that's really cool. Yeah, it was it was very, very special and very unnecessary and very appreciated. And it was just another cherry on the top of what was just a wonderful session and just it was a great day it was a great day that, that yeah it really was yeah i can't remember how late you guys stayed I, I know the the party went on for for quite a while but i know i know bruce probably had to get back to work on some other stuff a any other uh, any other highlights that uh, that jump out at you from that day well i remember michael sort of like hung out with us by the piano and some kids, I do not have the talent, but some kids like played the piano and played a, a, like some Christmas songs and Michael was sort of encouraging and you know, right. like, like he was half, half paying attention. He was there being like, all right, play something for me. I'd love to hear you play and that sort of thing. And there was a real um, congeniality to it of just, we're just, we're done recording. We're gonna have this little party for a little bit and let's all hang out and parents, you know, everyone, it, it just felt like such a celebration of like everything as opposed to just these kids recorded this song. It was these kids and these families and the engineers and everyone is just gonna come relax for a little bit and enjoy Christmas in the summer. Nice. <laughs> you you mentioned the t-shirts. I have to I have to tell you kind of a little backstory about that um, on the Bad, I think it was on the Bad album. It was either Bad or it might have been Dangerous. Michael had this little phrase, and, and it was a joke, but, you know, a tape machine needed to be aligned, or there was a buzz in a cable or something, and me or somebody had to figure it out. You know, the session kind of comes to a stop. And we started, the, Michael started this joke of, you know, you're holding up the project, you know, Brad, you're <laughs> holding up the project. And so somebody had all these T-shirts made. 
So we used to wear shirts that said, you're holding up the project. Mm-hmm. And then on chi- when, when we did childhood, it's funny you remember this. because I, I, remember, I remember that detail. I don't know why. Well, yes, yeah, some, sometime on the history project, because we started that project in February of 94, and I think you would have been there around August. And I, I don't have all my notes of when we recorded each song. But yeah, we must have done Have You Seen My Childhood? Wouldn't you guys have, we didn't use you guys to record on that song? It must have been L.A. So we had started the song in New York, and then I guess we used the L.A. choir um, for for that part. But yeah, same thing. We all got T-shirts that said, Have You Seen My Childhood? And I think Brian Bibberts actually still has his, and it probably still mm. fits him, which is sure one of the... On eBay. What's that? I'm sure you can find one on eBay. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. After this, you will, you'll be able to. <laughs> all right. So give me just a quick little, uh, you know, that was 94. The album came out. I'm sure you guys were, were, and then of course you were probably disappointed the song wasn't on it. Was there ever any talk amongst you about, you know, what was that all about? Why did we record a song for a Christmas song for Michael Jackson? I mean, for me, it it, it just sort of fit. It, It didn't make it on the album, but it, Neither did a, another song I sang for a different celebrity. You mentioned the Gloria Estefan. That never made it on the album. Right. There, it, 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 I think at that point, we all just sort of knew when it didn't come out that that's showbiz. You know, that's sort yeah. of, we, we were lucky to have this amazing experience recording it with Michael, but it just, for whatever reason, wasn't meant to see the light of day. Okay. That was sort of my feeling about it. Yeah, well, I mean, it happens. And I think by the time... You know, no one like contacted us and said, oh, it's not going to, you know, it just, oh, okay, the album's out, don't, song didn't make it. You know, it's like if you do a movie and you're in a couple scenes and those scenes are on the cutting room floor, when you go to the premiere, you're like, oh, okay. Right. Right. I found out it wasn't on the album because the day the album came out, I ran to the store and bought it. Yeah, exactly. And then I remember going, huh, and then I'm like, okay, (laughs) exactly. Then I thought maybe they'll release it at Christmas for like a Christmas bonus. Nope. Uh, it's funny because I, you know, I, I wish I could go back into my memory, you know, and, and really see clearly what, what was going on in '94. I just know that amongst us, you know, kind of the uh, the, the the bitter engineers. I'm, I'm joking, but um, we kind of knew what is this. It didn't make any sense. I mean, the the tone of the album is very angry. Uh, you know, Michael's trying to get a lot of stuff off his chest and, and uh, issues that are applicable even in 2021. Um, and in the middle of it all is this this kind of Christmas oasis. But in a weird way, for those of us that were there, it was just, it really was kind of a cool break, even in the production of the album. Because some of the songs are so heavy, and all of a sudden you've got Christmas trees and kids running around and... Uh, giving out Game Boys, and it was just, it was like a very cool moment in time. It, it is a great album. It's actually one of my favorite Michael albums. I love history. But I, I, in my gut, I always thought, like, if Michael Jackson's going to do a Christmas song, are we going to cover, like, are you going to do a cover of a song from Home Alone? Like, <laughs> I, I at least an original, you know, something. Right. So it always felt a little out of place in the moment even but you know what do i know i was 15 years old i'm not it's not my price right. a, a week ago we did um brian vibberts worked on the mariah carey song uh, all i want for christmas is you which that has been on the charts every year the top 100 charts yes every year since 
it was released in 94. I read something that it's been the number one song on New Year's, like the week of New Year's every year since it came out. My friend works very closely with her for maybe 30 years now. Um, and he said that she said that song alone could take care of her for the rest of her life. Just that song. <laughs> I think it and she, she didn't say, and she just said, that is the gift that keeps on giving, literally. That song, every Christmas, she knows no matter what, if I never record a new album again, nothing. And, and if all, something happened, all of her other albums and no one was, you know, paying yep. for it, that one song, she said, I'm set and throw my kids. I, I think that could take care of some small countries for, for quite a while. She's very, very grateful for writing that song, but she writes her stuff, but she writes her stuff. That's what helps. It's so, a good that's song. It's also a great song. That's that a good, good song. It is a solid, good song. It's a yep. fantastic song with a great hook and it makes you feel good. Yep. A song that people uh, love to hate and hate to love. It's a little old school feeling. It just, it has Listen, I, I, I work with children. And I'm telling you, six and seven-year-olds, they want to sing that song around yep. Christmas time. And so to like, you know, I know some people might be jaded and roll their eyes at it, but little kids are still obsessed with the song. Every, it, it, it's, it's timeless. It's a timeless Christmas song. There are some songs that no matter who you are, where you are, whatever, it's not possible to truly be jaded about. And that's no, funny. and it's that dun, 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 dun. You hear it and you're like, hi, ah. and you know what's coming. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you, and that was recorded in that same room. So it was recorded as in, us. Yeah, as yeah. where we were. Yep, hit well, Studio One, probably three months, two or three months before you were there. I wasn't part no of it. No way. But, yeah, but Brian Vibberts was, That's and so crazy. the the not the joke, but what Brian and I talked about was Mariah had a little Christmas tree, and so she had the giant <laughs> studio with one little Christmas tree and and a little couple of gobos, and then and her, and then Michael comes in and just you know, goes over the top with the decor and, and the uh, the craziness. His song never got released. Her song has been on the charts every year since 1994. So who knows? Tell me what you guys have been doing since uh, 1994. I'm going to let you get back to your uh, your normal activities. Donna, what do you what, what have you been doing? Um, well, I, you know, um, since 94, I, you know, I, I graduated high school and I, I went, to college, not for, for theater, but I wound up in a Broadway show while I was in college because um, I went to school in New York City at Barnard. I thought I was going to be a lawyer, but I, I didn't wind up doing that. And then um, I've been, um, I did a bunch of other Broadway shows, including Wicked and some national tours um, and, you know, little guest spots here and there on, on some film and TV stuff. But um, most recently I was on tour as Grizabella and Cats and um, we were shut down due to the pandemic. Wow. And I have been, um, I, ha I have a, a, I actually have a teaching business that I was, uh, when I went on tour, um, uh, basically the January 1st, um, I, I had some of my students, they started working with me over Zoom <laughs> before. The, so I was working, I was teaching on Zoom in January while I was on tour with some of my private um, acting and voice students. And then I was able to sort of um, pivot very quickly in March. Okay. So that business has expanded. So I, I teach kids and teens online and we have camp, we had camps and whatnot. And I miss being in the room with everybody though. This is temporary. I don't tell, you know, um, but I really feel very fortunate that I've been able to, um, you know, just lean into all the, all the teaching. And I have a, a, a four-year-old, he'll be five this month. So that keeps wow. me very busy. <laughs> that keeps me busy. So yeah. Awesome. Jeffrey, what about you? 
I, I know this was the, I know our session was the pinnacle of, of your life and career, but uh... downhill every day since. Then. <laughs> <laughs> like Donna, I went to school in Manhattan, uh, to college, sorry, college in Manhattan. I wow. did study theater in, in New York. And for the first couple of years, I was still working and, you know, still doing studio sessions. This time now it would be like at six in the morning before class, I would go. Um, for a while, I was doing parodies for the Howard Stern show. Wait, wait, oh, look, look, look. I want to hear about that. But six in the morning, I've, I've never worked a session at 6 a.m. A, I'd have to be at class by nine. Right. Howard would want, the, the songs would be written that morning to air that day. Okay. So I would wait. go in at six in the morning to, to do these parody songs, and then they would air on Howard's show an hour later. Really? That's incredible. Part of it doing it so early was because they wanted it to be airable three hours later. I don't know why we couldn't do it the night before, but we did. That's cool. Okay. Oh, I, I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to go. Did you get everything you need from me, Brad? Donna, thank you so much for hanging out with us. And uh, I good good luck getting And I'm so happy that you made it through the, the virus. And, uh, yes. and you're recovering you. and you're healthy <laughs> yeah. and happy. Yep. Yep. So, so Just thank- a little cough left, but it's every day it gets better. So I'm feeling awesome. really well. Awesome. Thank well, you. Well, blessings right. on you. Stay safe. Thank you. you Thanks, soon. Brad. Bye, everyone. Thank Take you. Take care. All right, Jeffrey, let's pick up with you. We'll, so, uh, we'll, we'll edit doing, this back to the other. Go ahead. So I was doing parodies for the Howard Stern show and some commercials here and there during college. I also, earlier in my in my childhood career, I starred in a Halloween, in one of the Halloween movies. Okay. So I'm one of the stars of Halloween part five. Okay. So um, that has sort of been a whole other part of my life. I always <laughs> joke that I have very different parts. I have my horror movie world. I have my recording session, my recording stuff world, my Broadway world, and then my life. And you so, live in you live in LA at this point. I live in LA. When did um, you move to LA? I moved here about fifteen years ago. Okay. I sort of needed a change, um, having spent the first half of my career in Manhattan. Um, I sort of one of the reasons I moved was I did sort of hit that wall where I was having a really hard time being taken seriously as an adult. Okay. Walk into, I once had an audition where someone said, I remember you, you used to be very cute. What happened? (laughs) And I said, I like to think I'm still cute. Thank you. Welcome to show business. Welcome to showbiz. So I moved to LA to sort of, you know, fresh start. Also, I was just, it was just time. So I live here. I, I'm a working actor, auditioning, working. I have been uh, working at Disney with the Disney Corporation for the last 15 years. That's fantastic. A little bit of everything, uh, working as a performer in the in the parks, um, working on the cruise line. I've spent some time uh, opening up the Disney Dream about, in fact, 10 years ago this week, we were opening up that ship and um, some recording stuff for Disney. Just, you know, pretty much whatever Disney needs me to do, I'm there. I was laid off last week due to the pandemic however like everything else it's cyclical it'll come back around it's showbiz showbiz ain't going nowhere i know it's a very hard time right now and you know it it feels kind of bleak but show business has survived for you know i was gonna say four thousand years but who knows exactly when when aristophanes was around right but you know and when when we're feeling all better we will get back to it. I also spend a lot of my time, um, I serve on the National Council of Actors' Equity Association. Okay. The union for stage actors around the, the country. And I serve on that national union. 
uh, I'm sorry, on the council for that union. So that takes up a lot of my time and I'm very, very passionate about um, politics in general, but specifically union politics. Right. I also work uh, with Screen Actors Guild and the American Guild of Variety Artists. Um, and that has sort of, especially during pandemic time, been a huge passion of mine of uh, arts advocacy and, and politics. Nice. Yeah. And that's sort of where I am. Awesome. Well, I appreciate uh, it. It's funny. I think you got, you and I have only crossed paths officially once to the best of my knowledge, but I, I have a feeling I, I've been on a bunch of Disney cruises and a lot of sessions. So, so who knows? Um, all right. Well, Jeffrey Landman, thank you so much for, uh, for hanging out and uh, kind of going back to a very special day, I think, in uh, a handful of our lives. My pleasure. You stay safe, be blessed, and I will talk to you soon. Likewise. Have a great afternoon. Take care. Bye now. Bye.